Today's uh, scriptural reading is from the book of John, John 20, 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And we had, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands on the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <coughs> now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. We're, we've been in the book of John for quite some time, well over a year. And the resurrection, of course, we covered last Sunday at Easter. And there are just some crucial conversations that Jesus has post-resurrection that John just had to record that had to be recorded, as, as Dad just read, had to be recorded for us um, so, that, so that we would believe. So this morning, where we're at is in just the, the same day that Jesus has risen and some very early crucial conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples. And we're just going to jump right in. So we're in John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, we have some over here, or we'll have them up here on the screen. Uh, John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that day being the resurrection, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And uh, I don't think, one of the things that's just kind of an incidental detail here, I don't think all the disciples were in the room. I'm pretty sure Peter wasn't there. Because last week we saw, it, after Peter saw that the tomb was empty, Peter went home. And, and his home was in Galilee, up north. And then next week, Jesus is going to meet Peter in a way that it seems like Peter hasn't met the risen, the risen Jesus yet. So not all of them are there, but enough of them are there that they're able to say the disciples are there. And then it gives the reason why they're in a room and the room is locked. For fear of the Jews. 
So in Scripture, it's, 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 um, it's alive and well. Scripture is, as Jesus is. And a lot of times, we just like hear the story. But it's always good to ask, why are we not hearing other things? Or why that and not something else? So when they are in this room and it's locked for fear of the Jews, so why are they afraid? Why are they in this room that's locked? So one is that, well, the Jews have just, through the Romans, killed their leader, Jesus. So it would not be a stretch to think that your name is on a list somewhere of let's just get rid of all of these not just Jesus, but his disciples, so we can nip this thing in the butt, basically. So, so they might be afraid that way, but then also, Jesus' body is missing. And you, if you are doing an investigation towards why Jesus' body is missing, the disciples would probably be key suspects for why Jesus' body is missing. So, so for whatever reason, they're in this room and while they're in this well-locked room, Jesus walks into the room. Written in a way that's saying he, the guy didn't open a door or a window. He just walked in. And a question is raised is, everyone who's trusted Jesus as their Savior will have a resurrected, glorified body ascending into heaven, or depending on timing and stuff, but we'll have a body one day in heaven. We aren't just floating around creatures. We actually have bodies, and they're, they're called resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, function correctly, don't have doctors in heaven. So Jesus' resurrected body, he just walks through walls. So you wonder, is that true of all resurrected bodies? Or did Jesus just perform a miracle where he was able to just walk right into the room. And he says two words in Greek uh, that have been translated into four words in English, since we're English speakers, and those four words are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And think like, of all that he's gone through and all that they've gone through, I mean, you could be like, hey, what's your opening line? What's your attention getter to the room? And it is peace. Be with you. His presence alone would certainly give them peace. His presence also would certainly give them eternal peace. They're at peace between them and God because the sin that separated us, the sin that made it so that we weren't just inherently at peace with God, has been destroyed. And so Jesus is the only one who could walk into a room and instantly say, peace. Peace has been, has been won on your behalf. I want to be the first to tell you, peace. Jesus has opened the way. He is the way. And he can stand among them and say, peace be with you. Then look at verse 20. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again a second time. This is the second thing he said. Peace be with you. And then he adds, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In just these two verses, there's a heck of a lot here. So there's a chance that when Jesus said, hey, 
hey, look here. I had 16 stitches right here on my leg yesterday, and I've got like bandaged wound going on, which is a totally different story, and I'm not going to share pictures. Don't worry. Uh, But like I have a, a noticeable wound on my leg right now, and thankfully it medication's making me feel just fine. (laughs) I feel great. But uh, Jesus had significant wounds, and one of the chances of him showing his hands in his side is like, look how, like, they're gone. Look how miraculously they've been healed. That's a chance. But based on what follows in this passage today, and then what, what we've kind of seen from other areas too, it's widely believed that Jesus' resurrected body still has the scars and the significant wounding on his body post-resurrection. And man, I've chewed on this. A lot of people have chewed on this. Many, many probably gallons of ink have been written on why Jesus would have resurrected, or why he would have the scars and the wounds. He doesn't show his feet. Were they not there? Or was he just choosing to just show his hands and his side? And the best that I, with my sanctified imagination, can think of of why Jesus' resurrected body has the wounds is actually a, a flash of insight I had when I first watched the Pixar movie Cars. Okay, so I know Cars came out a little while ago, but uh, when I watched Cars for the first time, if you remember, the first Cars has all of these race cars in it, but then one of the key characters is the tow truck Mater. Remember that? And Mater, and so there's a scene in, in Cars where, where Mater has the opera, and Mater is all old, rusty, he's all beat up, he's got scratches all over his car, and there's an opportunity where Mater can get all of those buffed out get a brand new paint job, and Mater can just be a brand new tow truck with no, no, no scratches, no dents. And in the scene, Mater says, no, I, I don't want my scratches removed. I don't want the dents fixed. Because w- what he explains is that I got, I got each of those with my buddies. And every one of those is a memory of a significant time that I had with my friends. And so I want all of them. And I don't want to remove them. And uh, it's silly, it's from cars, it's, it's Mater and all that stuff, but I think like in a super serious, significant way is that it's his scars for all eternity. It's his scars that we will see and we'll know that's why I'm here. 10,000 years from now in heaven, all that are there, it's his wounds and his scars that will be like, if he didn't have those, I wouldn't be here. And I think he would see them and be like, this is, this is the moment I had with my friends when I took all of their sin on me so that they could be free. So he's got these scars. He's showing them to him. He says to them again, peace be with you. And it's, it's so amazing that he's doing this. But then Jesus adds, which he didn't say at first. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And it just blew me away that Jesus is always on mission. That's why we named this church Sacred Mission Church. It wasn't like my mission or somebody or my dad's mission or anything. It was that Jesus himself 
is on a sacred mission for us. And even in these testimonies, like we, we hear the risen, alive Jesus coming around people in our community and changing their lives, and that's changing our lives too as we get to witness that. And even here in that room, Jesus has no side conversation. He's not being able to be like, hey, let's go back and say, like, talk about what just happened and stuff. Instead, Jesus' first conversation for his disciples, outside saying, peace be to you, he says, hey, I'm sending you guys. Like, let's go. Let's get going. It's, it's happening right now. Like, the cross was not a finish line. His resurrection is not a finish line. It's a starting line of him leading the mission, leading us to lead others to him. And we're seeing this happen in our midst, and it is meaningful, significant, gives great purpose to all of us, and is just a joy. And then Jesus tells them something, starting in verse 22. He says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Then verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And in many ways, we'd have to do a survey of the Old Testament, a survey of God's dealing with people from the beginning. But to realize this, It was Adam and Eve, tempted by Satan, who first rebelled against God. Rebellion against God entered reality through Adam and Eve, and that rebellion started flowing through all of our veins. And God brought his law. He did so much work. He could have just said, you guys are done. But instead, he continued coming around us and even told us that the law would be a guardian until Christ came. And we just saw so much of what Jesus did, but also there was a reality that everything was broken. There was a reality that, that life was not the way it's supposed to be. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And for hundreds of years... I think that there was a, maybe even a fury boiling in the heart of God, justice, righteous anger towards sin and the effect of sin and what sin was doing throughout the Old Testament time period. And it was on the cross that some people have said death didn't kill Jesus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was bludgeoning death. Jesus was killing death on the cross and furiously killing death, killing the penalty of sin. And it is now for the first time that Jesus victoriously is communicating to anybody. And with the victory that he has, and the Holy Spirit had been working all throughout in the temple area throughout the Old Testament, we saw the Spirit of God do a lot of things. Uh, Then the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, and now in the age of the church, Jesus is to say, like, okay, I give the Spirit to you, as, as, as he's already told us in the book of John that he would do. That would be better for him to go and send the Spirit for us. 
the authority that he gives us. And then we even see it here, verse 23 again. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And don't take this the wrong way. You could interpret this incorrectly. Like I could go up to somebody and say, I forgive you. You are forgiven by me. Give thanks to me for forgiving you. And you just be like, you are just, that makes me feel gross. Like that's, that's bad. Um, and that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about is saying, um, like when Charity and I had that conversation, and Charity said, I, I'm ready. I, mean, I, I don't think I'll ever forget you saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. And God had just, and I didn't have to be like, ready for what? I just knew, like, she is ready to give her life to Jesus. And then we prayed together, and I was able to very boldly tell her, your sins have been forgiven. Not because of my authority, not because of anything I have done, but I have been given the authority as we have been given this authority as his sons and daughters that when someone gives their life to Jesus, we can say, your sins are forgiven. And they'd be, on what authority? On this authority that he has given us that, that as the Spirit is, is working in our midst and the Spirit is guiding us to do these things. And she says, Jesus, I give my life to you. You are my Savior. We say, your sins are forgiven. Walk in peace. And likewise, I've also had conversations with people through just years of ministry. I remember very vividly, it was in a different state where a guy felt like God wanted him to desert his wife and kids and that God wanted him to be happy and he had finally at work found his soulmate and so God was pleased to have him leave his wife and kids of many, many, many years and get married to this lady, and that's what God wanted him to do, and the church should be so happy that he has finally found his soulmate. And I was able to say, you are delusional, you are out of your mind, you are sinning like crazy, and you need to stop and repent. And, and, and that's here, too. Like, God does not forgive you of this. Now, if you repent, he would forgive you of this, but don't, don't that's, you have... You have built this web of lies around your sin and don't add God's name to your web of lies of you trying to figure out like why you want X, Y, Z. And, and I think in here it's like, yeah, if you withhold, if you give, the Spirit will guide you, go. So it's unbelievable that Jesus calls us to such heights in such an unbelievable moment. And then John switches it. He's like, okay, he, he, he brings us to another, an, another thing that happened. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not in the room. He was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. He said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is a guy who's been with Jesus for years. And man, uh, for I think the first 20 years or so of following Jesus and reading this passage, I think I was just like, man, Thomas is just a skeptical guy. 
He's probably one of these intellectual, agnostic type guys that's just like, you know, you got to convince him otherwise. And, and his nickname has even become Doubting Thomas. He was just a doubting guy. And uh, the last few years, I've actually kind of wanted to take a fresh look at Thomas. Consider his life in a, in a fresh way. And I started wondering, he might be saying this from his head. He might be really intellectual saying this from his head. But I started asking, what if he's saying this from his heart? And let me explain more. He says really vivid things, right? Unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails, and unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, he's mentioned nails twice, and I place my hand into, into his side, I will never believe. And where are you going with this? What I started wondering is all of the disciples desert Jesus as he's put on the cross, as he's tried but he's there for six hours. And I think there's a good chance that most of the disciples circled back around and saw Jesus being crucified. And this in no way was a um, pleasant situation. And don't think like they just went to Lowe's and got like just little two by four nails. So archaeologists have actually found two situations uh, in tombs where men in the first century in the Jerusalem area, were crucified. And you're like, well, how do they know you're, they were crucified? Well, because in both cases, when they were driving the nails through their feet, it hit a knot of olive wood. They even have been able to figure out like little fragments of olive wood, and it hit a knot in the way that the nail bent. And so when they tried to... And, you're like, well, don't describe in too much detail here. I know some are woozy here. But uh, when they tried to pull it out, basically it wouldn't come out because it was bent on the end. And so, so they were buried with the, the, the nail in their foot. And in both cases, it was the size of like a railroad spike. So, so, so both of these, and you can look them up online if you're interested, uh, but both of them are like the size of a railroad spike. And so Thomas had seen the grotesqueness of such a large thing driven into his best friend and for six hours see the trauma that came from that. And I think he was deeply bothered. And maybe even for, couldn't get it for days, that was all he could see. That was all he could think about. When he closed his eyes, he just saw those nails, those nails, those nails. And when they're like, we saw Jesus, he's like, if I just, I, those nails, you know, to, to feel the emotion possibly that Thomas was feeling of just, there's no way, that there's no way that such tremendous damage could have been undone so quickly. So look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, you guessed it, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus speaks as before. 
peace be with you. He gives this invitation to Thomas, and there's beautiful art written or painted of Thomas sticking his finger in the side of Jesus, uh, just some beautiful masterpieces. But Scripture never says if, if Thomas actually did that, if Thomas ever took it, like did that, or was it just the presence of Jesus alone and Jesus' offer that was just like, I, I don't need that anymore because you're standing right in front of me. But what is important is the clear response of Thomas, my Lord and my God. Full belief, full surrender, not just like, wow, well, you present an intellectually intriguing argument in front of me, I see. Not he just instantly goes, my Lord and my God. And I think in our culture today, it's so common to have a Lord that isn't God. In our culture, it's so common to have all sorts of lords, hobbies, passions, sports, things that call the shots in our life, things that we sacrifice to. We sacrifice a great deal of our time, energy, uh, thought to lords of our life. And they're not God. And it's also popular today to, have, to, to also have God who isn't our Lord. You know, to have like little baby Jesus, you know, just kind of that like little helpless baby and you just always keep him there in the manger because that doesn't ask anything of you. Maybe just occasional church attendance. Or if you have maybe God that's just super far away. Maybe you'll listen to a couple country music songs about God and just be like, well, none of us are atheists, right? We're all Christians because we live in America and we're conservative politically or whatever it may be. And you have God, but he's not Lord. He doesn't call the shots. He's not the center of your life. And Jesus' invitation to us is to see him through Thomas's response. As Thomas says, this is my Lord and he is my God. And Jesus' response to Thomas in verse 29 is, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And most think here that Jesus isn't rebuking Thomas. He isn't giving Thomas a hard time. Because think about it, Thomas actually responded to Jesus' invitation. You know, so Jesus isn't the type that's like, come to me oh, and slap you on the hand. But he said, like, Thomas comes to him in the way that he invited Thomas to come. But then he said, hey, I want people to know how blessed they are. I want people to know how fortunate they are who have not seen. And still the Holy Spirit has worked in us in a way that we have believed. And Thomas himself, this is well attested in history, is that Thomas himself is known to have been the person who took the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, to India. And I have friends even from India who became Christians and were like, yes. I mean, it goes back over a thousand plus years that, of people writing saying Thomas came here and Thomas was the one who was telling people, hey, I know you haven't seen him, but believe. And you will be fortunate if you believe and you give your life to him. Then John concludes the sec section in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
All this has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the prophesied one who will save us all, and that when you believe he is the Christ, you will have life in his name. It's, it's a lie to think, well, if I come to Jesus, all of my fun of my life will end, and it'll just be boring and dry the rest of my life. That is a lie. And many can attest to, like, I did everything that people were telling would make me feel amazing, and it ended up making me feel terrible. And it was only giving my life to Jesus where I actually started to feel life and feel alive. And we get to see people baptized in just a few minutes who have recently believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, they are finding life in his name. So some of us walked in today believing we, we walked into the sanctuary believing he is the Christ. We've walked in the sanctuary as people who are saying, my Lord and my God. And as, as we watch the baptisms, as, as we meet with him in communion, my, my prayer this week has been that we would only even more passionately say, my Lord and my God. That maybe in a fresh way, maybe there are situations at work or with your health or, or just situations in your family that have started to just make you feel worn down, beaten down, and just in a fresh way, you might meet with your Lord and your God and find life in his name as he breathes his spirit on us. And some walked into the sanctuary not yet believing. I wouldn't say it's like a, car, a hardened atheist. I would say, because you're here, I think he's drawing you to, to himself, and I would just consider you one who has not yet believed and I pray that you've seen enough today. I pray that Jesus' invitation to you, that you, you don't need any more. You, you get to meet him, you get to walk with him, you get to grow in him, but you don't need new, you, you're ready to say, my Lord and my God, and would you say that today? If you want to scream it out loud, do. People will cry, will laugh, will we'll applaud, we will rejoice with you. If you just want, just in the center part of your being, just to say, I am today saying to you, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. I'm giving my life to you. And by believing, I'm looking forward to finding life in your name. I would say, please do that. Don't hesitate. No matter if you're a kid or you were a kid a really long time ago, um, he is after each one of us. And I would encourage you to say, my Lord and my God, to the Lord and to God himself. And uh, we get to commune with him. One way that we commune with him is through what he designed for us, communion. Communion is, him, is, is a way that we take bread, representing his body. We, we drink his blood, knowing that it washes us from the inside out, white as snow, um, which was true when we put our trust in Jesus. It's true. It's what we live in today is that it is his life that gives us life. And so scripture tells us don't rush to the table without spending some moments letting him reveal things to you, show you areas he wants you to grow in, in your walk with him. He is always on mission through us and in us. And so we'll have some moments and then what we'll do is just come down the aisle. We'll have two people. I'm not sure who's serving communion today, um, but if you want to come forward, feel free. And uh, we'll put plastic gloves on. Uh, do we have any? Okay, Mom and Dad, are you guys serving? Okay. Uh, we'll put plastic gloves on, and then just come up with your hands open, and they'll place the bread in your hands, and then take wine or juice, obey your conscience there. And if you're one who is not yet believing, 
you're, you're free to give your life to Jesus and come right away. If you want to talk to me about it in advance, I'd love to do that. If you want to talk over lunch with a friend or a family member, uh, please do that and come confidently to the table next week. Uh, but Lord, we give this all to you. Thank you that after this we get to commune with you through baptism. But Lord, thank you that you are so good to us. You were so good to Thomas, and you are equally so good to us. And we just say, my Lord, my God.